good to see so many of you guys back from um, your um, Christmas and New Year break. Uh, we are glad to have you here. Welcome to Aletheia Church. Uh, my name is Kevin. Uh, I am one of uh, the pastors here. Um, if you've got a Bible, uh, you can go ahead and open it up to Acts chapter 8. As you just heard, that's where we're going to be this morning. Um, if this is your first time at Aletheia Church, if you wouldn't mind raising your hand, not because we want to bother you or make you feel weird, uh, but because we have a, a gift we would like to give you. Um, we have scripture journals that we've been giving out uh, throughout this entire uh, journey that we've been taking as a church uh, that have the book of Acts in them. And on one side, we've got the scripture, and on the other side is a place for you to take notes. So if you would like, one of those journals, just raise your hand and we'll have somebody come and bring one of those to you. Uh, we value the word of God here at Aletheia Church, and so we want it to be in your hand. We want you to see it. We want you to be studying it. We want you to be working through that together, and so that is our gift to you, and we would just encourage you to uh, take notes during the sermon and bring them back in future Sundays so uh, that you can uh, be learning what God has been teaching you and be sharing that with others. And if you are a part of a gospel community here at Aletheia, that you could take those scripture journals to gospel community as well so that you guys can work through and process through what God might be teaching you. So uh, I just want to give you guys a, a really uh, quick recap on what we've seen so far. Um, I said last week in my sermon, as we looked at the first half of Acts chapter eight, uh, that today's sermon would really in, in many ways be the second half of um, of a two-part sermon, that last week's sermon and this week's sermon, in many ways, we're going to go uh, hand in hand. Uh, and really what we see in Acts chapter 8 is God kind of giving us, in, in some ways, a blueprint, but more so just encouragement and reminders of the power of the Holy Spirit and how it empowers followers of Jesus to witness and share about the good news of Jesus Christ with their family, their friends, their co-workers, and their neighbors. And so uh, we We've entitled our series in the book of Acts that we've been studying since August, Go and Tell. And that's based on what we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Right before Jesus ascends into heaven, his last words to his disciples are telling them that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon them. And once the Holy Spirit has come upon them, they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what we see in the book of Acts is the story of God's faithfulness to what Jesus commanded his disciples to do. So everything we see in the book of Acts is God continuously being faithful to men and women who love Jesus so that they might fulfill that mission that Jesus gave all the way back in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And I said in one of the first weeks as we started studying this book that the book of Acts is our story. It's the church's story. It's our story of how God has been faithful to his people throughout history. And this is just the beginning part of the story. Now, last week, what we looked at specifically is we are at a point in time where the church has really started to grow and explode in Jerusalem. And so as the church continues to grow and explode and expand in Jerusalem, they're starting to face persecution and opposition from the religious leaders and the Romans in Jerusalem in particular. And so you start out chapter eight with uh, Luke letting us know that Paul and some other religious leaders in particular are ramping up 
persecution in the church. And the persecution had gotten so bad that it forces the church to begin to scatter to other parts of Israel and, and hide out really in many ways to escape this persecution. And one of the things that we saw was that one of the men who is scattered is this guy named Philip. He's just this godly guy who loves Jesus, wants to make much of him, and he ends up in this city called Samaria. And as he's in Samaria, he preaches the good news of what Jesus has done. He shows signs and wonders to attest to the fact of that good news of what Jesus has done. And Samaritans start repenting of sin and trusting in Jesus as their God, Savior, and King. And one of the fascinating things that we pointed out last week about that is, is twofold. One, Samaritans and Jews did not get along. They had a lot of cultural barriers and a lot of religious uh, beliefs that were not in sync with one another. And so they did not like one another. And yet we saw in Acts 1.8 that Jesus told them, you will be my witnesses. And one of the places he specifically lists is what? Samaria. Right, so we see God's faithfulness to his people right, to go to the Samaritans so that the gospel would go forward. And what was interesting is that happened, though, not because early Christians were like, oh, we need to like, make sure we're like, abundantly following everything that God has told us to do. No, what forced them to be loyal to God's mission was persecution. Suffering is what forced them out of their comfort zone, their bubble in the city of Jerusalem and that church that they, had, that they were growing with and that there was a lot of excitement going on, right? And this persecution enters the church and off they go and God meets them in Samaria and we see people begin to get saved. And one of those people was this guy by the name of Simon who was a magician. And what we said about him is he would pretty much be, think of like the person that you would think would be the last candidate in any city to become a follower of Jesus, that would have been Simon. Right? Simon was uh, a powerful person in the city. Uh, he was able to do specific things that would get people to follow him. There are people calling him a guy who had the power of God with him. And what we see is as Philip witnesses and as people get saved and as wonders and miracles are done, Simon repents and believes and begins to follow Jesus. And one of the things I mentioned last week and that we worked through in gospel community this week, if you guys met, was this idea that anytime we are going to witness and share the good news of Jesus with others, if we're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the work that God has called the church to do, we need to be ready to go up against counterfeit power and counterfeit gospels. Right, that Simon was peddling counterfeit good news. Like, hey, if you follow me, I will use divination, I'll use astrology, I'll use this power uh, from evil spirits that I have to be able to look into the future and tell you what's gonna happen. And as Philip was doing this, right, he experienced and saw this happen. But when the gospel came, true good news, guess what got overshadowed, right? the counterfeit gospel and good news that Simon and others were sharing. 
So as the apostles show up in in Samaria, they confirm this teaching that Philip is doing. Simon sees that the Holy Spirit is being given and he makes a huge mistake. He asks them to give him the power to give the Holy Spirit to others so he can peddle it for cash. Peter, in true Peter fashion, yells at him and rebukes him like Peter often does, right? And then we see Simon, he's kind of like that that sad puppy after he's been yelled at, right? He's just like, please pray for me, right? He's super upset. And so here, but here you have, right, huge revival and love of God taking place in Samaria. So we've left Jerusalem. That's where the center of our story has been to this point, And we move into Samaria, right? And we were encouraged last week by what we saw that, that God can save anyone. God doesn't care about your past. He doesn't care about what your worldview is. He doesn't care what you've done, right? If you are willing to believe in the fact that God is real, that Jesus was really his son, and that you can repent of sin and place your hope and trust in the fact that Jesus Christ came, lived, died, and paid the penalty for your sin, doesn't matter what your past was like. Doesn't matter even really where you were heading, that God can radically transform and save even the craziest of people, a magician in a city that had all the power, right? And so we, we see this faithfulness of God through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can look at and say, hey, that same Holy Spirit resides in us. If you are a follower of Jesus, the same power that resided in Philip resides in you, and you can be encouraged and empowered to go and share boldly with anyone because you don't know what God's going to do. Now, what we're going to see this week is another story of looking at people who have not yet believed and trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior and the Messiah, right? We're going to see another example of God using his people to save somebody. Look at verse 26 with me in Acts chapter 8. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was, in charge of all, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. All right, so there's a, there's, a, there's a number of things I want to point out about this story. This is, just for a, a disclaimer, this is one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. Just if you, if you kind of follow the logical progression of what's going on here, there's some pretty fascinating things in this account that Luke shares with us. But I want you to first and foremost think about that recap that I just gave you of what we had seen happening in, in, in the church so far. And, I, and, and think about the context that Philip in particular is in. Philip has been under persecution in Jerusalem. He flees that persecution in Jerusalem and heads to Samaria. When he heads to Samaria, he has enough faith and believes in the power of the Holy Spirit to trust in what the Holy Spirit is doing, and he begins to witness and lead people to Jesus in Samaria. And what breaks out in that city is a major revival, Right? Just imagine if you're a student or you work here in town, just hundreds and thousands of people just all of a sudden laying down everything and start, they start following Jesus. That's, that's what's going on here for the first time in the history of Samaria. And as Philip 
is in the midst of this full-blown revival taking place. He's one of, by the way, the celebrities and the figureheads of this movement going on in this city. What would your response or what would your desire be as Philip in that situation? What would, what would you hope God was going to do? Right, I, I know what mine would be. God, let me stay in Samaria forever. Let me be the most important person in the city. Let me stick around here and disciple the new believers, especially Simon, because Lord knows he needs it, right? As we see him struggling, uh, let me get, let, use me to raise up pastors, raise up elders, raise up leaders who could continue to do the work of the ministry here in Samaria and, and help us raise up church planners who are gonna go other places and do the very thing that I did in Samaria. But God, just, just let me stay here forever. I wanna see this through. And yet Luke, very matter-of-factly, it's like, oh yeah, an angel just kind of showed up, right? Went to Philip and was like, hey, rise up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, will you do me a favor? Will you throw that that image up on the screen? Because I want you to understand some context of what's being asked. So if you look up in the north there, there is Samaria. That's where Philip is, right? This angel shows up and says, hey, I want you to head down to the south, right? And see that red line, right? That's kind of how this road ran, right? From Jerusalem to Gaza, right? And the angel's like, hey, I know you're in the midst of this huge revival and you're like one of the main leaders that's discipling and training people and raising up leaders and doing all this work. I want you to instead go into the desert, right? Not exactly a strategic ministry move, Right, this would be like, hey, I want you guys to head into the Ocala National Forest uh, and, and be ready to do some major work for the gospel there. We would all be like, huh? Dude, get, get away. What are you talking about? You ever been in the Ocala National Forest? There's nothing there but deer and alligators. Right, there's nothing going on. He's like, yeah, I want, I want you to head down to that road. I've got some work that I want you to do. Right? And this is not a small distance, right? But what we see right, is this. Right? Philip listens. Philip, Philip in obedience, right, to this angel that shows up, Philip's like, okay, I'm going to go. And what we're going to see is that there's a very specific reason that God calls Philip to do this. And I want you to know and understand this, and I want you to see this, that God cares deeply about those that he has called out and ordained to be his children, and he will use outrageous means to see them come to faith which includes sending the primary leader of a major ministry in a new town to go and find someone that God wants to save. That's how much God cares deeply of those who are his children. And so the characters we see in this story, right? We see the angel. The angel just kind of shows up and gives this this, uh, charge to Philip to go down to this uh, desert road in between Jerusalem and Gaza. Uh, Just like as a quick aside on angels, if you're like, I don't even know what an angel is, right? An angel is uh, a heavenly being created by God, and they're often seen throughout Scripture as his messengers, and there are things such as good angels and bad angels, Right? There are good ones and there are bad ones. Right? The ones that frequently listen to God and do what God asks them to do, you see throughout Scripture giving uh, charges and commands to God's people to do specific things. Right? And so we see this angel. Uh, another one of the characters we're going to see in this story is the Holy Spirit because he's one of the heroes of the entire book of Acts. Right? The Holy Spirit is going to lead Philip to do, some, do, uh, do what we see this morning. Uh, we see Philip, who's just a faithful evangelist, And then the next person we're going to see 
is who Luke describes as the Ethiopian eunuch. I am not going to get into a major biology lesson with you guys this morning, okay? Right? But eunuchs were someone that are, are someone that has been castrated, right? If you don't know that word, you got Google, look it up, okay? Right? Now, what you need to know about in this time period is that there were two types of eunuchs. There were those that had been castrated typically because some sort of war had broken out and this was some sort of punishment or whatever it may be of the conquering uh, civilization or army. But most people who were eunuchs in this time period were eunuchs by choice. And typically, a man became a eunuch by choice because he wanted to work in some sort of high government position. And the way that this would work, if you were a king or you were uh, a queen, right, you often knew, like, hey, maybe if I'm having someone run my money or run my kingdom or run my government or whatever else it is, right, they might want to steal power from you, right, and eventually pass that kingdom over to themselves and then later on their children and their children's children. And so one of the ways you would protect against the possibility of being overthrown by somebody inside your own government, in your own council and inner circle, is you would say, hey, if, you, if you're a guy and you want to be in my inner circle, you got to become a eunuch, right? And the thought process was that if you did this, you would be less likely, right, to betray the king or queen, now, I don't know if it was successful or not, but that's what they did, right? And so here we have this guy, right, who is a eunuch by choice, right? And it says that he is a powerful council member of the queen of Ethiopia, Candace, and that he, he basically manages all of her wealth and finances. Pretty powerful position. And what we see about him is that he is returning to Ethiopia from Jerusalem. Now, I find this fascinating. I don't know if you guys are, are seeing the same things that I'm seeing. But here you have a non-Jewish Ethiopian eunuch heading to Jerusalem because he wanted to worship God. If you know anything about the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, if you were a eunuch, you were not allowed to enter the temple. So it is clear that this guy has a strong sensitivity and love for the things of God, knowing full well that he wouldn't even be allowed to enter the temple and worship the way that he would want to, and he would never be able to fully convert to Judaism either because he was a eunuch. He could become what was called a God-fearer, but he could never fully convert to Judaism. And yet he has taken time off. He's gotten permission from his queen to head to Jerusalem because the God of Israel is the God that he worships and serves. Now he shows up in Jerusalem, spends time there, worships God. There are Christians still in Jerusalem worshiping God. And yet he makes it in and back out of Jerusalem without hearing the gospel. And he is on the road in the desert on his way back to Ethiopia. And here we have God in the midst of revival, sending an angel to Philip to tell Philip, leave Samaria, leave this revival, get your behind south of Jerusalem as quickly as possible and go find this particular person I want you to see. I got something for you to do there. Why? Because God loves the eunuch. And this is what had to happen <laughs> to see this guy saved. As I've heard people argue over the years, like, 
is God really good? Does God really love people? Does God, does God really care what happens? Guys, this encapsulates the heart of God. That he would move that many circumstances to send one guy into the desert to find one other guy. Could you imagine? Remember, when we think about strategic ministry or what the church is, we always talk numbers. Oh, there was 50, there was 100 there, there was 200 there, there was 1,000 there, right? And yet, what is a major story left in Scripture for us? One. Right, that God would send one of his people after one. Guys, here's what I, I want you to see and understand about everything that God unveils to us in the book of Acts. God does not need us. Right? It isn't like God, God is waiting for you to get up in the morning and is like, man, I really hope Kevin gets up this morning. and I hope he's ready to go. I've got a bunch of things that I would really, really like him to do today, but I, I gotta wait for him to wake up so that I can then tell him everything that I want him to do today. That's not, that's not how God operates. Right? God does not need us. And yet the pattern we see throughout the book of Acts is that although God does not need us, he chooses to use us. He chooses to use us to fulfill the very commandment he gave us in Acts chapter one, verse eight, right? To be his witnesses, to share the good news of God's love towards others in Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian here this morning, God wants to use you. He wants to use you in the same way that he uses Peter, John, the same way that he used Stephen, the same way that he uses Philip here in Acts chapter eight. God wants to use you to witness to his glory to others that do not know him. And if you are not a Christian this morning, here's what I'm willing to bet. You are in this, a seat this morning in this church because God is using someone to witness to you. You are not here by accident. When I think about my life and when I didn't know Jesus, right, I kind of grew up nominally going to church as a kid and by the time I got into college, I would have called myself an agnostic-leaning atheist. Everyone in my life that I was surrounded by did not know God, did not love God, did not want to have anything to do with God or church except for one person, my sister, and God faithfully used her to pester the living daylights out of me. <laughs> to love me, to pray with me, to share with me. And guess what I started doing? I started going to church. And if, you, if, you're, if you're here this morning, this is your first time, and you're not a Christian, you're like, I don't even know why I'm here. Been there, I've done that. Right, because God wants to use people to share with you the good news of what Jesus has done just like he chooses Philip here to save this eunuch. The second thing I want you to see is this, right? For those of you guys that have been Christians for a long time, right, you've probably heard churches and ministries and campus ministries and whatever else debate over evangelism and what it's supposed to look like, right? And I've seen every evangelism model out there at this point, the Evangicube, uh, the Four Spiritual Laws, uh, Solarium, Way of the Master, uh, you know, you, you just name it, right? I've probably seen it. Right? Right? 
And, and one of the main things I remember when I was in college is there were two main campus ministries at my university, and they didn't get along with one another because they argued with each other over the stupidest thing I've ever, see, ever seen. What's the right way to share Jesus with somebody? Is there a wrong way? Right? The one side was like, hey, we just, we just go up and we talk to, to random strangers and we tell them about Jesus. We call it specific intentional evangelism, and that's the way it has to be done. Right? Look at Acts chapter 8. That's what Philip does. And then the other, the other side was like, no, you have to earn a hearing with people. Right? It's all relationships. Right? You have to do it all the time. Guess what, guys? It's both. Right? For those of you guys that are in the relationship evangelism only crowd, guess what? Acts disagrees with you. I'm not 100% sure, but it's fairly clear to me that Philip has no idea who this guy is, right? And as he shows up and he heads into the desert and, he, and they're on the road to Gaza, right? We see this amazing thing take place that sometimes there is an urgency in someone's life where God is ready to save someone on the spot and he wants to use us to share the gospel with somebody. That other times it may take you months even years of loving somebody faithfully, being a good friend, being there to pray for them, sharing and reminding someone that God loves them. But sometimes there might be two people sitting next to you in a coffee shop talking about stuff and you can interject into the conversation and share Jesus with them. Both are acceptable forms of evangelism in God's ministry bubble and what God wants us to do. And so I want you to write this down. If you're a member of Aletheia Church especially, I want you to write this down. Who has God put in front of you? Who has God put in front of you? Because there are people in our city, in your classrooms, at your workplace, in the coffee shop that you frequent, in your neighborhood, who God is already doing a work in their heart. They just need somebody to tell them what God's doing and make some sense of it. Right, one of the biggest examples of this I have ever seen, right? Most Thursdays I go out on campus and I just go up and I introduce myself to random strangers. I say, hi, I'm Kevin, I'm from Aletheia Church. I'm one of those weird Christians that really loves God a lot and invites people to church. That's it, 10 second pitch every time. Right, some of you guys, oh, you do that to random strangers? Yeah, it's weird, it's fine. We get through it, right? Don't care about yourself so much. I walk up, I introduce myself, and then, and then I just like, hey, what's going on? What's your name? What are you doing here? Are you, st are you a student or whatever? And here, here's, here's what's fascinating. God uses those conversations to save people sometimes. Three years ago, I was on campus with another student, right, right in front of Marston Library, right? And there was a South Korean exchange student there who was here for just a couple months uh, doing, doing the ELI. And he was just sitting there, right? And, and Blaine Helmich and I, he was a big part of this ministry for a long time. He's at, he's at Arkansas now uh, studying medicine. He's going to be a doctor one day. I'm just like, hey, let's go talk to this guy. So we walk over and we talk to him. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? And he tells us his name. His name's David. And so we're talking back and forth. And he, he tells us a little bit of his story. And I'm just like, well, dude, man, like, I, I just want to tell you, like, I, we felt like God was telling us to come over here and talk to you. Like, uh, could, could we talk to you about God a little bit? And he just, break, he just starts crying. Of course, you know, dude, I'm, I'm from rural Virginia. Men don't cry. I'm like, what do I do? You know, I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm like, God, help. Right? And he's like, you know, I was just sitting here. I just had a really, really bad breakup with my girlfriend. 
Um, I did some pretty terrible things, and I had just been praying, God, if you're real, will you send someone to tell me whether you would ever forgive me for what I've done or not? I'm like, well, dude, it's your lucky day. <laughs> Let me tell you. Guys, I've heard stories similar to that one. By the way, David prayed right there on the spot to ask Jesus to become his Lord and Savior. He spent the next couple months with us at, at, at Aletheia Church before he went back to South Korea. You don't know what God's doing in someone's life. I had not spent months and years developing a relationship with him. I had no clue who he was. I had no clue what was going on in his life, but God did. Because God was already at work. There are people all around us where God is doing things in their lives, taking them through experiences, challenging worldviews, having them question things that they've believed. Are we prepared to be like Philip and be ready to help and witness to Jesus? to show them Jesus? If so, if we are willing to obey like Philip, guys, miraculous things can happen. Miracles like we're gonna see right here with the Ethiopian eunuch. Look at verse 30. So Philip ran to him. Love that, right? Shows up, desert, random chariot. By the way, just so you guys know, this is a big deal. He's in a chariot probably surrounded by armed guards and he just runs up to it. Not a great call. Right? It says, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I? Unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. I love that. Philip gets, he's, he's traveled all this way. He sees this chariot. He runs up to it. And he's just like, hey, did you, you, do you understand what you're talking about right now? Do you understand what you're reading? And I love the eunuch. No. I've got no clue. How could I possibly understand what is being talked about here in Isaiah? Guys, this should kind of point something else out to us, by the way. We need community to continue and grow and understand Scripture sometimes. I know, especially in the West, like, you, you might not know this, but you are being discipled by culture all the time. And one of the things that our culture in the United States and in the West in general kind of disciples into us is this idea of individualism, right, and pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and doing things on your own, right? Within the context of following Jesus and being a follower of God, that is not something that God teaches, right? What God teaches is the necessity of community and encouraging one another especially when it comes to understanding and studying God's word and encouraging one another to follow and obey it. And as the eunuch stands there, he's like, he recognizes this need for someone, for God to use someone to come alongside him and share the good news. And so the eunuch invites Philip to sit down and study. And what he's studying there is Isaiah chapter 53, verse seven and eight. And you can throw that up on the screen for me, right? This is what he's reading, but Isaiah, right, Chapter 53 is this prophetic book in the Old Testament that talks about how God is going to rescue Israel in the midst of exile. 
right? And specifically what he's talking about here is this, Isaiah 53 is known as the famous passage about the suffering servant, right? This, this suffering servant who was going to lay down his life willingly for his people. Now, there was all sorts of debate amongst Jewish scholars on who Isaiah is talking about here in chapter 53. They would argue amongst themselves, right? Some people thought that uh, Isaiah was referring to Israel itself, the entire nation. Now, I don't know if you've studied the history of Israel or not. They don't seem to fit the description of Isaiah 53 very often, right? Some people thought it was Isaiah himself, that he was talking about himself and what he was going to do, right? And some people thought it was referring to the promise of the Messiah who was going to come, rescue, and redeem God's people. And so when you get to verse 35, it says this, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip is ready. Guys, by the way, this is the most simple model of evangelism you could ever have, right? Go to a person, Bible, talk about Jesus. It's probably like not gonna get me a major place on like Lifeway's bestseller list of like how to do evangelism, but this is a tried and true method. Scriptures, study them and talk about them together, point people to Jesus. Right? That, that is what evangelism is all about. Right? Not some special model or the right way to do it. It's about pointing people to Jesus. And Philip is ready to do that even using Isaiah 53. He's just like, hey, yeah, Isaiah 53, it's all about Jesus. Right? That, that lamb being led to the slaughter silently, he's, he's referring back to the Passover lamb which was given as a sacrifice, right? So that the angel of death would cover and pass over God's people and not kill their firstborn sons. And every year, right, Israel would recognize the Passover feast and they would slaughter a lamb and they would recognize God's faithfulness to them and recognize their need for a, a sacrifice, a pure unblemished sacrifice to be made in their stead so that God's judgment would pass over them. And Philip's like, yeah, you know that, that, that sheep being led to the slaughter? That's actually Jesus. When he talks about the suffering servant here in Isaiah 53, that he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? It's Jesus, the suffering servant. Right, that we use God's word to show how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to rescue and redeem his people. And that's what Philip does here. Jesus is the one who was promised to Israel all the way back in Genesis chapter three. That God, from the beginning, has been telling his people how he was going to redeem and rescue them. And Philip says, hey, dude, I know you're from Ethiopia. I know you didn't grow up in Jewish tradition. Let me just tell you, this, this has come true now. God has sent his son, Jesus, to rescue and redeem his people. And, and this is why I love this story so much. I love just... I love the obedience of Philip. 
I love the humility of the eunuch being, being teachable and ready to hear. But most of all, I love the depth of God's grace in this story. He pulled a major leader out of a major ministry that was in the midst of growth and explosion and revival to go save one person. I love the eunuch's response to, to Philip sharing this good news of Jesus with him, right? Look at, look at what he says. And the eunuch said to Philip, right, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this is? About himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. Now remember, where did I tell you? Where are they? Desert. Do deserts have water? Not very often, right? They're going along in the desert and, he, and, the, and they come along the water and the eunuch says, see, look, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. Some of you guys, by the way, I, I love this, right? Because the eunuch's like, hey, what, what prevents me from being baptized? And some of you guys, by the way, you're seeing me read that and you're like, wait a minute, my Bible has another verse in here. It's not here. Right? If you guys look closely, you'll see verse 36 and verse 38 in a lot of your Bibles. Right? That's because verse 37 and the most reliable manuscripts that we have of the New Testament is not there. Let me just say this to you. I, I don't know. I wasn't there when Luke wrote this. I wasn't there. If that verse is supposed to be there, good. Here's what it says. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And then you would read verse 38 and they go down into the water. Let me just tell this to you. You don't need that verse to be there though to tell you that the common pattern of the early church was someone believed and they went down in the water to get baptized. Because, because guess what? Early on in Acts, that's exactly what they do in Samaria. And later on, you're gonna see as the church expands into other parts of the Roman world, that's the exact same thing that happens over and over again. That there is an assumption here that the eunuch responds and believes in Jesus as the son of God and as his Lord and savior. And in that response, he goes into the water to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The eunuch responds to the gospel and in obedience wants to be baptized. I love these last two verses, right? And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. I don't know. <laughs> it's God. What do you, I mean, am I going to tell God, you don't do this. You can't do that, God. Right, pull, throw that image back up there again, because I want you to just to understand the magnitude of what Luke is just casually saying. Right, I mean, there, you could like literally create an entire TV series about being swept up and you know, brought away, right? It's like Stranger Things. He's on this road somewhere, Right, Luke says, yeah, they came up out of the water and then he just kind of gets swept up and he ends up in Azotos or Ashdod. So it wasn't like he got picked up by the wind and was thrown like 100 yards north. No, it's like 40 to 50 miles in a different direction. Right, because it says there in verse 40, but Philip found himself at Azotos and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns he came until he came to Caesarea. And so guys, I, I, want, I want to just challenge us with two things this morning. 
The first one being this. As we have looked at Acts chapter 8 over the course of the last two weeks, there's one consistent theme that I see over and over and over again. God is faithful. He is faithful to empower us as the church to witness, to share the good news of Jesus with others. Whether it be a crazy magician who's doing all sorts of strange things, or a major leader in a foreign government who's sensitive towards the things of God. God is faithful. God rescues, God redeems, but he uses his people to share the good news. My second question is this. Are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? I'm not, I'm not talking about cult, culturally Christian, that your grandma was a deacon in some church here in, in the South, or that you grew up going to church. No, I mean this. Have you placed your hope and your trust in the fact that God sent his only son 2,000 years ago that 2,000 years ago, there was a real man, fully God, fully human, walking the earth, performing miracles, claiming, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. And that same man was crucified at the hands of wicked men and women due to no fault of his own, due to nothing that he had done wrong, was buried to prove that he was dead and then rose from the dead three days later to prove that he was God. And the reason Jesus went to the cross wasn't because he was some sort of political martyr. It wasn't because people had gotten things wrong. It wasn't because the Romans were worried about him overthrowing the government. The reason that Jesus went to the cross is the very reason he declares to his disciples in the gospels, no one takes up my life, but freely I give it up. That when Jesus went to the cross, he freely was giving up his life so that God's wrath and punishment for sin and rebellion for the human race could be satisfied once and for all. That like the lamb at Passover being slaughtered for the sins of Israel, Jesus, the sheep, sent himself to the slaughter. That he willingly gave himself to the point of death, death on a cross. As he hangs from the cross, right? He, he cries out to God, God, why have you forsaken me? He begs God to forgive the very men who have put him on that cross. And then his last words as he hangs there is, it is finished. And he is not referring to his life and he is not referring to his ministry. As Jesus cries out, it is finished, he's referring to God's wrath once and for all, being satisfied and paid for in full. And Christians for the last 2,000 years have been walking around, I always love this, like Christians get crazy around Easter time. You know why we get crazy? Because God sent his son to die for us and because that happened almost 2,000 years ago, we freely know God and are adopted as his sons and daughters. And we celebrate that on that Friday, Jesus was crucified and buried, but on Sunday morning when those women showed up at the tomb, he wasn't there anymore. 
because he was God's son and he proved that as he rose from the grave. And as he comes out of that tomb, right, and offers new life to us, we know that once and for all, God's wrath has been satisfied and that we we are forgiven and we are adopted as God's sons and daughters if we are in Christ. That's the gospel. That for hundreds and thousands of years, God's people longed for the moment that God would restore fellowship and relationship to the Father, and he had finally done it in that act on the cross in those three days over Good Friday to Easter Sunday. It's the most important event that has ever taken place in human history. Where God's Son willingly gave his life for you and for me because of our rebellion. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you're in good company. Everyone in this room, by nature, is rebellious towards God. That's what the Bible teaches us. All of us are like our first father, Adam rebellious. Sometimes the Bible uses the word obstinate, which means stiff-necked, which if, you're, if you want any more clue of what that means, just hang out with a toddler for a couple days. Most stubborn human beings on the planet, three and four-year-olds. God says that we're like that, stubborn, stiff-necked, refusing to respond, refusing to obey, refusing to believe that he is good. And yet in his mercy... He sent his son to rescue and redeem us anyway. And that's exactly what Philip went today to do with the Ethiopian eunuch, to share that good news of what God had done for the eunuch in Jesus Christ. That there are people in this room that God sent his only son to die for. If you're not a Christian here this morning, God sent his only son to die for you. You simply need to repent and believe. Repent, confessing your sins, things that you've done wrong, ways that you haven't measured up, ways that you haven't trusted or believed in God and ask him to forgive you and ask him to change you. And then we worship Jesus for paying that penalty for us. If you are a Christian, the pattern that we see here is that in obedience, you need to be baptized just like the eunuch was as an act of obedience. Just a couple weeks ago in early December, we had five or six people step up here, get in the water, declare how Jesus had radically changed their lives and were baptized. If you haven't been baptized yet, you need to see me after service or one of the other pastors or one of the other leaders around here and we will get you baptized, but that is what God is asking of you. But I want to invite the band to come back up on stage now and I want to give us some time to respond to what we see here in Acts chapter 8. Because with what is going on here in Acts 8, there's so many different ways and there's so many different people in here that we're all in different stages. But one of the things we like to do here at Aletheia every week is we like to give you time to respond to what God's word is showing us. One of the things that we do during this time is we invite you to pray. Right? We invite you to come up and take communion. Communion is something we do every week here where as an act of worship, we come up and we take the bread and we partake of the juice and we use that to remind us as an act of worship that Jesus poured out his flesh and blood for us. It's something Christians do as an act of worship, thanking God for what he's done, giving his own flesh and blood for us.
If you're not a Christian, we would ask that you not take communion until you are a Christian, but that that invitation to the table is always opening because the invitation for you to come to Jesus is always open. And then I'm gonna invite a few people to come up front here as we turn the lights down and as I pray, and there's gonna be a few people in the back. And I would just ask you to do this as you reflect this morning on what God has shown us in Acts chapter eight. If you are not a Christian this morning, come up and ask somebody to pray for you. I know that's a big deal, asking somebody to come pray for you. But if, if, if you've got major questions or major issues, you're probably not gonna find the answers yourself, just like the eunuch wasn't. Ask somebody, talk to somebody. You can disagree with one another. There are people in this church that would love you, that would care for you, and wanna talk to you about Jesus. There's likely someone that brought you here this morning because of that. There's something major going on in your life that you need prayer for. Go to one of those people. They want to pray for you. If you are a Christian here this morning, you consider yourself to be a committed part of Aletheia Church. One of the things we've asked you to be doing over the last couple months is to be thinking of one person that you want God to, to save. One person that you want to see Jesus rescue. If you haven't been doing that, if you haven't been participating in that, will you repent of that and will you go up and pray with somebody and ask them to pray for that person with you? We've got people that want to pray with you. And may we, in all of this, in this time of response, remember this, God is faithful. He was faithful to the church. We'll continue to see that throughout Acts. He was faithful to Philip. He was faithful to Simon. He was faithful to the Ethiopian eunuch. And he will be faithful to us. May we trust him to see a greater worship of Jesus as more people come to know Jesus as Savior and know that he wants to use us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways in which you use people every day to share the good news of Jesus just like Philip did. May we take this time now to, if necessary, respond and ask for your forgiveness. If necessary, ask you to save us for the first time in our lives. I pray that you would encourage my brothers and sisters in here this morning that are committed members here of Aletheia Church to respond to the call to witness to their unbelieving friends, neighbors, and coworkers. Help us to step out and trust in faith the way that Philip does. God, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word, but most of all, thank you for Jesus, the author and perfecter of our salvation. May we be known for one thing, and that's a deep and sincere love for God and his son, Jesus Christ. God, I love you. Thank you for this church and the gift that it is to me. Bless the rest of our time this morning. I ask this all in Jesus' name.